Before we begin today's podcast, here's a word from our sponsor. Footballshirtmemory.co.uk offer a wide range of rare football shirts sourced from all over the globe. Either find something on their website or ask them to find it for you. Once you found the shirt you're looking for, use the code SCAD at the checkout for 5% off your order. I'm Julian Brand, and you're listening to Scouted Chats. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Scouted Says. Uh, joining me today is my good friend, Connor Garrett. Welcome, Connor. I'm really happy to be here with you, Steve. So. It's good to have you back for another another week. The European leagues are starting to return. We had some more Super Cup action on the weekend, but the big story was, obviously, uh, the return of the, of the Premier League for another season. It was a bit of a crazy week. Uh, is there a particular game that stood out for you or games? Um, I think you have to look at the season opener, uh, Arsenal against Leicester. Um, absolutely brilliant game. It had everything. It had um, great performances from new signings. Um, obviously, Lacazette, um, there has been sort of discussion either way whether he's going to be the right man to take Arsenal forward. I think he at least started really well. Um, and yeah, that's as you would as you would like him to go on, I guess, if you're an Arsenal fan or someone who likes... Um, Lacazette in some shape or form. Um, returning players, uh, there are a lot of great performances there. I mean, one of them is Vardy, who put in probably one of his best performances since that title-winning season um, with two goals. Very much against the run of play, but uh, very good. Um, and then just sort of the big name, sort of things like Granit Xhaka, absolutely controlling the game, having a 20-minute spell towards the end of the, the game that won it for Arsenal, but also Olivier Giroud coming on towards the end, being hauled off the bench after a sort of a bit of tumultuous summer for him. Like, it's not sure. It wasn't sure for a while if he was going to stay there at all. And then, yeah, the manner in which he won them the game, I think it says it all about his character. And, yeah, it was it was a really, really fantastic game to watch. Um, so that was the one that really, really um, got me excited for the season, I have to say. Yeah, it's very good to see um, Shaka hitting the ground running this season. He he received a lot of, a lot of criticism last year and a lot of it I I thought was unwarranted um it kind of became the the shtick of the season to to get the the batons out and start smacking Jack every time he got a yellow card every time he did a bad tackle every time he misplaced the pass so it's good to see him doing well I thought Ballerin and and Oxley Chamberlain were were both quite decent as well um probably Ballerin more so but we'll, we'll keep we'll keep going on because I think uh, the Manchester United-West Ham game really stood out for me as well. Um, United just looked absolutely superb, playing completely differently to, to last season when they were slow, boring, uh, didn't create a whole lot of chances, and when they did create chances, really were profligate in front of goal. Um, but Lukaku, Lukaku really stood up. Um, Pogba looked at home in the midfield with Matic. So what, what were your thoughts on that game? Well, yeah, I mean, I thought... The first sort of opening spell of the game, um, there was definitely sort of a little bit of rust still there in the system. Um, they they weren't exactly the side that finished the game when they started. That, that's all I say. Like they, I think as soon as they got that uh, that goal um, by Lukaku, which was excellent, that sort of seemed to like make things start to click. The the machine started to oil a little bit more, and they just looked every time they came forward, they uh, they looked like they were going to score. And I think part of that might be. Uh, a little bit of an indictment on West Ham. Obviously, they weren't great last season. Um, there are maybe a few question marks sort of sitting over Billich at the moment. 
because of how badly they did last season in comparison to the expectations. And I think the expectations this season have to be higher, given the fact that the media uh, and West Ham fans, at least, seem to think that they've had a really, really magnificent window uh, inside all these 30-year-old guys. Yeah, Man United were brilliant. Um, I think Lukaku running the channels, really, he offered something so much completely different to what Ibrahimovic did last season. He acts as a focal point like Ibrahimovic did, but... I think he does. He did quite a lot more for the team, um, and I don't know. It also was a lot less profligate, as you said. So, yeah, it was it was um, interesting to see sort of a return to what you would expect for United, really playing against sort of a, a bottom half Premier League team. Um, that's what we we saw them play um, over, uh, quite a while ago now, I guess. But yeah, no, it was it was a really really exciting attacking performance, especially in the second half. Yeah, just on those two points you made there, I think. Uh, Lukaku, a lot of the time you saw him really drop a lot deeper than than Ibrahimovic ever would have, and it really brought uh, United's other attackers into the game, interchanging and, and just looking more fluid as an attack. Um, and also uh, Pogba and Matic, that that duo, um, Pogba just seemed to be unlocked, and it was a bit of the the cliche thing to say. Also, when Matic signed, was that. Oh, I was going to free out Pogba, but it really did. Pogba uh, drifted out onto the wings a lot, um, was creating, getting balls into the box, and uh, really seemed to, to interchange well uh, with Mata and also the, the, the two wingers. Um, but but we'll move forward again to a, into another player that's that's seems to just keep taking steps forward, and that was Dali Ali, who was just absolutely superb against Newcastle, and has really just cut out almost the perfect position for himself at, at Tottenham, just uh, drifting up in behind Harry Kane, still involving himself in, in the play, but always being in the right place to, to score. Um, what are your thoughts on, on this season for him heading into a World Cup year and just your general thoughts on that game? Well, I think it's, it's a season where he has to continue what he's been doing. Um, he's proven himself at the Premier League now for, for two years. Um, he is already an established England international. I think... If you look, if you take right now, he's on the plane. He's in the first eleven um, for England if they get to the World Cup, of course. Um, so, in that sense, he just has to continue what he's doing. But obviously, if he can keep ramping up that level, he can be an absolute key player. Uh, the, the, make no bones about it. He's been absolutely magnificent over the past couple of years, and yeah, he seems to be carving out not just a position for himself in the Spurs side, but I think sort of a role that maybe not isn't necessarily comparable to uh other players that we we might want to compare him to i mean before the the podcast you were asking me if you thought he would score more premier league goals than frank lampard and it almost is like well he probably will because he plays a little bit more attacking but i mean do you compare him to lampard do you compare him to rooney do you compare him to a striker do you com- who do you compare him to and i think i mean the fact is he's dali ali he does something very different and yeah, it was very interesting. It's Newcastle seems popping up all over the park, almost in a free roll. Um, I mean, I don't know if you saw sort of. Um, I think just before the goal, he got absolutely clattered by Matt Ritchie, um, playing in sort of like a right back position. Moments later, he's got up. He's uh, making a late darting run into the box. Christian Eriksen spotted him, whipped in the ball. Just the tidiest finish you'll see all weekend. And it was, I think, an, the epitome of what he can do. And yeah, he he really got to the St. James's Park faithful, um, partly through the whole John Joe Shelby thing, partly through um, sort of the way he reacted to the Matt Ritchie tackle. Um, but 
the thing that he also really got to them with was just the quality of performance. He was absolute magic. And uh, yeah, him and Christian Eriksen were really the keys for the Spurs this week. And um, yeah, it might have been a little bit different given the whole sort of shadow going into the game of Danny Rose's protests. Yeah, I think um, Dele Alli really got to Newcastle, the Newcastle crowd and the Newcastle team eventually just with his... Uh, he just wouldn't respond to any of the uh, the bad tackles or any of the the direct um, abuse of him, pretty much. Uh, and then he responded just superbly. And I think him and Harry Kane now are just about the first two players picked for England. Um, and the way that they they play together, interchange and and link up, but also don't get in each other's way, uh, is just awesome to watch. And Tottenham, um, a couple of years ago, they were more of a defensive solidifying their defense rock solid and then now they're branching out into some really excellent attacking play and uh, I think Ben Davies goal in particular was a really awesome demonstration of how much they've evolved as a team um, but we'll, we'll head over to the last game that we wanted to talk about which was uh, the Liverpool Watford game which was just a re- it was just ridiculous uh, Liverpool continue to not know how to defend set pieces um, and their defence is just an absolute shambles. Yet again, uh, they really need Van Dijk. They need. They really need uh, a new left back. I don't think Moreno is the answer. Even uh, and it was weird because Moreno didn't really play much last year, and then all of a sudden he's in the in the first eleven for the first game of the season. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on Liverpool uh, and and that game in general? I mean. It's a they're, they're two different sides. I think uh, you've got the defensive, sort of four, five, six, however many you want to say, and then you've got the attacking sort of four or five. Um, they were absolutely magnificent going forward. Um, Mo Salah looks a brilliant signing. Roberto Firmino continued sort of where he left off. Sadio Mane also continued where he left off. But then you look at the defense, and not only I mean the names there definitely weaker than in the attacking part of the team but the performances as well there's just no, it doesn't seem that the defense is coached at all well and this is a problem that we saw in the latter stages of Jurgen Klopp's tenure at Borussia Dortmund I don't know, I don't know what it is but his sides for the last few years just seem to completely uh, lose all confidence when they get asked sort of difficult questions and I mean, we're not let's let's not shy away from the fact that Watford were very good for vast waves of the game. Marcus Silva's obviously had a very good preseason. Um, if he's managed to sort of instill that sort of attack performance from the team that and we they've signed a few in. players as well. Yeah, exactly. They they've they're definitely a team on the up. Um, but I think the other thing we need to mention is the fact that Simon Mignolet's performance was not up to scratch for a professional goalkeeper, let alone sort of the standard of a goalkeeper that should be playing for a team challenging for the top four. Um, yeah, on that first goal, he was poor. I mean, if you look at the fact that last season, Loris Carrier statistically basically cost Liverpool the same amount of points in the league season as Simon Mignolet did in that game alone. Those There were two absolutely catastrophic errors. The second goal, you can potentially say that's a, that miscommunication in the defence, which includes him as well could be better dealt with um, by a sort of a more commanding goalkeeper. Obviously, he did end last season quite well. Um, but I just I do think before long, you're going to be looking at Liverpool fans calling for another goalkeeper. And 
it, 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 to me, it just says they should have stuck with Carrius all along. I, I am slightly biased in that sense, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's very difficult to uh, to watch a defensive performance like that, a goalkeeping performance like that, even for someone that isn't necessarily bothered how Liverpool do. Um, it was, yeah, obviously shooting themselves in the foot at times. And I'm not even sure if bringing Van Dijk in completely like mends that because, it, I mean, it's one player. The structure doesn't seem to be there. And one thing that Van Dijk is very bad at, I think, is being in position. He has the sort of talent and the physicality to get back and sort of make the tackles, make the last ditch defending. Sort More of, of a stopper than a, than a sweeper type. Yeah, I mean, it, it sort of almost seems like a lot of the time he's getting caught out, but then it's so good that he is able to make himself look good by that. Um, and because he's playing for Southampton, who, I mean, last season were absolutely magnificent defensively. That's the one thing they did do really well. Um, it almost doesn't get picked up on quite so much, but you put him then in that suspect Liverpool defence, and I think it might be a little bit more. And the same happened with Dejan Lovren, to be honest, a few years ago. Um, it's the same sort of phenomenon. Um, and you can even say, to an extent, with Simon Mignolet was lauded when he was at Sunderland like years back. Um, but then since going to Liverpool, he's been under a lot of scrutiny. So I'm, I'd be interested to see how that happens. I don't think he's the golden bullet for them, to be honest. Yeah, I think though just the way Liverpool defend, it's all a bit gung-ho, I think. Uh, especially with Moreno and Lovren both stuck on, on the same side of defence. Uh, on that, on that uh, I think it was the second goal, when the defence just, just fell apart. And it was mainly because... Moreno got caught too high upfield, um, too playing too close to his man, and Lovren was just caught in just the worst position imaginable. Um, so, but I think on the other side they look a little bit more. I think Trent Alexander-Arnold looks a really good player. Um, he looks more composed definitely than Moreno on the other side. Uh, gets some nice balls into the box and, and defends pretty well. Um, and I think I think there is a scope for Matic, uh, Matip and and Van Dyke to work but it's going to be an expensive uh expensive test to 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 give it a chance to flourish but enough premier league for today we'll move on to uh the el clasico from last night i uh, don't think either of us watched it but there's a couple of nice talking points from the game uh we all saw ronaldo's amazing celebration uh invitation or mockery what did you think of that i well i just don't think it's in ronaldo's nature to sort of pretend to be Messi in a really positive sense to build him up. So it's quite clearly a mockery in my opinion. Like he's he's clearly I mean it's not it's an important game in the sense of Senal Clasico, but it's the Spanish Super Cup. Like it doesn't mean a huge amount. Whereas obviously Messi's celebration came at the end of an absolutely brilliant performance in the league, uh, in a really big game. So he's what he's doing is clearly sort of taking a little cheap shot at Messi. And I mean it's quite funny regardless of what you think of either of the two players. Like it's it, though that sort of drama is sort of what we sort of like, I get to have around the two best players in the world still, I guess. It's quite an interesting one. Yeah, I thought it was definitely a bit of a piss take from Ronaldo, and I thought it was very funny. Uh, I saw a lot of Barca accounts on Twitter trying to claim or oh, imitating the greatest player or whatever. It doesn't matter if you think Messi is or isn't the greatest player compared to Ronaldo, but um, I think it was amazing showmanship from Ronaldo and um, it was. I think it was premeditated, personally. Even though Marcelo kind of comes up to him with a shirt, I think there was a, a little bit of it that he was just trying to trying to get his own back. And I think in, in the setting that it was in a 
in a, a non-glorified Super Cup. Um, that it, was, it made it even more of a piss take. Um, but we'll move on again. Uh, that Asensio goal, how fantastic was that? Honestly, I've, I think I've been watching like a video of it on repeat since I saw it this morning. Uh, so, honestly, you, you don't get better technique than that. That's absolutely magnificent. Um, and I think you have to say he's one of the... Uh, the scouted football heroes of the week for that and it's a very good performance and it's good to see a young player like him actually sort of breaking into this very very deep with talent Real Madrid squad yeah that goal was just a perfect postage stamp finish and uh, it added to his to his uh, record of I think it's five debuts now in the Super Cup European Super Cup Champions League uh, La Liga and, and Copa del Rey he scored in his debut in every single one of those competitions so uh, I think he's, I think he's almost the most celebrated youngster, other than maybe Mbappe these days uh, on football Twitter. And uh, he's just got his his little cult following now. And it's hard to think that uh, Barcelona could have had him a few years ago for like four million euros or something, and and uh, and nitpicked over over payment sh- uh, structure or a little bit of the fee. I'm pretty sure, and that meant that he had ended up going to Real Madrid. Um, so it's just incredible just to see the mismanagement of, of Barcelona in comparison to Real Madrid, how the two clubs are run, and just uh, Barcelona's downfall, really, since they won the Champions League uh, two, three years ago now. Uh, how do you see Barcelona's actions uh, in this summer? Um, where do you think the club's headed? Well, I think, obviously, there's going to be a basic level that they're still going to be one of the better teams in Spain. They're still going to be one of the better teams in Europe. Um, so everything's relative, um, but I really don't understand why they signed Paulinho. I, mean, I know that there are, there's some talk about how statistically his season at Spurs wasn't quite as bad as everyone talks about it, but at the same time, I don't think it was then, it was still good enough to be like, right, go from playing in China to going to Barcelona, who at least still on reputation is still one of the best clubs in the world. And I think replacing Neymar here is without doubt probably the third best player in the world, if not entering the top two at the moment, um, with uh, potentially Coutinho. Um, maybe uh, there's there's talk about a lot of different players, obviously, but obviously Usman Dembele is uh, one of them. Um, there is, it, it's, it doesn't seem that that would be... It's underwhelming. I mean, I, I think with Coutinho, it'd be a complete waste of money. Um, he hasn't done enough consistently in the Premier League, I don't think, to warrant a big money move to Barcelona he might come good but I don't think he's well, he's definitely not a like for like replacement for Neymar but I don't think he's in terms of quality he doesn't come remotely near the class of Neymar um, Usman Dembele definitely I think will be on that level at some point but you're you're sort of looking a few years down the line and um, it does seem a very very weird uh, sort of state of affairs there um, I don't really know if they know what they're doing I think they've obviously See, they've got this big chunk of money and there's a lot of pressure to replace him with someone, someone that they can market in some way. Um, and I think by the sounds of it, the, the players that they're looking at, it seems like they're trying to rush into a decision and obviously that's not going to bode very well. And yeah, I guess the, the Asensio sort of uh, story, the backstory, is uh, maybe a little bit of a, um, I don't know, a, little, a bit of a parable for them about how they should maybe start dealing with their business. But at the same time, it's uh, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, the margins are still so fine that there is enough talent in that squad. Um, 
that they could come back and impress us all this season. Um, but I think you you go if you you compare the squad from last season, which were obviously quite imbalanced to the squad from this season. I think yeah, on in a one-off game, you'd back the squad from last season. They're a weaker team going into this season. All right, so I'd segue into our zeros of the week uh, little segment, but uh, we've only got one more. So I wanted to to talk about the enigma that is Marcelo Bielsa, who on uh, Saturday or Sunday, I believe it was. Uh, was two injuries and two subs down after, uh, I think it was 35 minutes or or so, and decided to make his third substitution, a tactical substitution before half-time, meaning that he had no subs left heading into the second half. And when his goalkeeper threw a ball at another player and got sent off, he was forced to play striker in goals and eventually conceded. They conceded a three and lost the game 3-0. Do you buy into... The Bielsa hype, uh, will you watch any of Lille's games this season? Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, obviously, Marcelo Bielsa has achieved so much um, in his various stations around the world um, that it was it's difficult not to buy into it on some level. Obviously, he achieved a lot in his native Argentina um, earlier in his career. Um, he was very, very good as manager of Chile um, as well, um, sort of before the whole Jorge Sampaoli era. Um, it sort of laid the sort of base for that. Um, so, yeah, he's obviously he's obviously very good. Obviously, he's had sort of uh, a few sort of spells in recent years that have maybe been a little bit of him that stars on the wane, and it happens in every managerial career. Um, but what I would say is that that sort of decision making is completely typical of me on Football Manager and. I mean, if, if I can't get if I can't get right on a video game, who am I to criticise Marcelo Bielsa for not being able to do it in real life? In that sense, so, oh, you know, I take my hat off to him. But do you buy into the hype that that or the cult of Bielsa that some people seem to have? Uh, I I like to think that I'm not part of any cult. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I mean, obviously, yeah. Like I'm saying, um, as always, the truth sort of is somewhere in between. He's not the best manager in the world. He's not the worst manager in the world. He he has a lot of very strong positive points. I find his football very interesting, um, but I think at the moment, yeah, maybe we're trading off of an idea of Bielsa's football that uh, has maybe had its day. Okay, but enough negatives. We'll move on to the our heroes of the week, and there was two in particular that stood out to us. Uh, the first, Steve Mounier, was fantastic on his debut for Huddersfield, can you take us through his game? Well, I mean, so you, you go into the season, Huddersfield uh, pretty much across the board pinned down for 20th. They probably still are, even though they played really well on Saturday. Um, but one of the things that people have been saying all summer is that Steve Munier is an absolutely brilliant signing. He, he had a very, very good year in France last year, um, and he's still so young. He's only 22, um, which, I mean... For a player of his, like, I don't know, the, the way that he sort of carries himself on the pitch, it sort of seems weird that he's so young. He looks just sort of quite burly, strong, and like, I don't know, like he's dominant, five really. Years Physically more dominant. Experience. Yeah, he looks like he's got five years more experience than he actually does, which is excellent um, for a club like Huddersfield, who obviously are going into their maiden season in the Premier League, um, first in the top tier in England for decades. Um, so, yeah. Um, Really, really good. He was just 
brilliant in the air um, and his movement in the box is absolutely superb. Obviously, two goals against Crystal Palace. Uh, there is an element to which I think Palace were quite unlucky. They weren't as bad as the 3-0 scoreline suggests um, and there is an element to which part of their defensive troubles is probably just trying to bed into De Boer's system uh, when you compare... So I don't, I don't know. The Burr's methods are obviously very different to Sam Allardyce's methods. I think the I think the XG totals were both under under one expected goals for for the game. So I think uh, especially because Munier scored two headers, it kind of uh, and then the other one was an own goal. Kind of yeah, maybe overweighs how how strong Huddersfield was. But it was it was very um, encouraging to see them come in and, and win three 0 But continue. Yeah, I mean, David Wagner said the same thing. On another day, it could have gone completely the opposite direction. He would have been able to have no real complaints. So, obviously, a really good day for Huddersfield. And if they can build on that, then that's magnificent for them. I think we'd all like to see uh, David Wagner do well. Um, I think we'd all love to see a lot of the players in that team do well, to be quite frank. Um, But... uh, You have to give special props to Steve Mounier because he was absolutely clinical. And without him it would have been a lot closer in terms of the scoreboard. And, you know, given what you said about the the XG um, being relatively sort of um, even, um, without those two goals, you're talking about a completely different game. So, yeah, I have to give props to him. Looks like a very promising signing, shall we say. And the other player that I wanted to talk about was uh, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic from Lazio, who, in the Italian Super Cup on, on Sunday night, was absolutely dominant beasted Juventus' midfield uh, but he just showed his his wide range of skills he's big and strong, he's great in the air but when the ball's on the ground can make passes even though he's not the kind of creative playmaker that, that other midfielders are um, dribbles he, he's a bit like um, Bakayoko in that sense that people kind of see him as this big bulky strong tall player um, but with the ball on the deck, he 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 can he can dribble the ball, he can advance advance the play even though he's not very quick. But he uses his strength excellently to to bustle through midfield, um, and he's a, a threat in the in the box as well. Um, so I think Milinkovic Savic is definitely a great player to, to keep keep an eye on this season. Uh, Lazio uh, uh, really don't want to let him go uh, this year, so I don't think it will happen. Even though he'd be perfect for a team like Juventus. Um, but definitely one to keep track of, and he could be a uh, 50 million euro plus signing for for some team next year. Um, but that's enough of that. We'll we'll move on to our games to watch. Our last little segment. Um, any particular games standing standing out to you this week? I think. I mean, we've spoken about Liverpool a little bit already. I mean, I say a little bit in quite a lot of depth. Um, but they have an interesting few weeks because obviously starting Tuesday, so tonight when this podcast comes out maybe it's already been played when you're listening um playing Hoffenheim um first game is away in Zinsheim so it will be probably one of the more difficult games that they'll play sort of in the early sort of stage of the season um and you know it's going to be very exciting to see Hoffenheim getting their sort of top level season underway obviously they played Rotweiss Erfurt which was a game we featured last week um in the cup sort of labour to a 1-0 win there um and this will be sort of their first real proper test. Um, they'll be hoping that they'll be hoping that Liverpool defend like they did on the weekend. I'm sure. And I think if they do, then obviously, honestly, Hoffenheim are going to have an easy, easy after evening. But I don't think the same will happen. I don't think Liverpool are going to have been so 
sort of complacent that they haven't tried to work on their defending between Saturday afternoon and now. Um, so, you know, it could it should be a really interesting battle of wits. And I think whatever happens on Tuesday, we should be going into the second leg next Wednesday and saying that this is going to be an absolute cracker at Anfield. So going to be exciting to watch that. Um, and another one I really want to mention, then no, don't know if you mind me sort of continuing. No, go on. But um, at Narg- uh, Julian Nagelsmann Hoffenheim obviously um, is 30, he's a very young manager. Um, Schalke have appointed a 31-year-old manager who graduated from the same class uh, as Julian Nagelsmann as a, a Bundesliga coach. Um, yeah, um, so Dominic Tedesco. Uh, will be making his Bundesliga debut for Schalke um, against Leipzig at half five on Saturday. So that's the top spiel uh, for all you German football aficionados. And uh, as well as having a young manager, Schalke have invested in quite a lot of youth this summer. Um, Leipzig, of course, are a very youthful project. So that really will be one to look out for if you're wanting to follow the uh, the German football this season. Um, obviously, Bayern against Leverkusen is the match is the season opener on the Friday night. Um, but I think if you're wanting to get a really, really exciting game, an evenly matched game between two really good teams, this is the one to watch out for. And there's even a little bit of sort of bad blood there. Having, uh, I mean, after the team of Werner dive last season, uh, the the two clubs, aside from the fact that nobody really likes Leipzig if they're a proper football fan in Germany, um, there is that sort of element on pitch as well that could make it a really, really tasty affair. Awesome, and we've got a, cu- a couple of other games. Uh, Leon Bordeaux, Bordeaux look really, really strong this year. Um, Malcolm is particularly one, one to look out for, um, and Mariano Diaz uh, has looked really strong for Leon so far this season. So keep an eye on that game, and also a big one in the Premier League on the weekend or on Monday actually uh, will be Man City against Everton. Uh, expect a, some sort of mix of uh, Gabriel Jesus, Sane, Raheem Sterling. Uh, Bernardo Silva, Mendy Stones, and and Edison to 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 line up for City, and then uh, with Everton you've got Davies, uh, Lookman, Pickford, Ramirez, and Calvert Lewin was pretty good on on the weekend as well. So and also one more from Serie A's Serie A uh, debuts will be uh, into Fiorentina. Fiorentina could have uh, their expected new signing Giovanni Simeone line up in his first game uh, on the weekend as well if his moves able to be completed. Uh, by by the weekend, uh, but th- but that's all f- from us today. Uh, we'll move on to uh, my favourite uh, segment of of the week, and that is always the interview. So thank you very much, Connor. Uh, we'll see you next week. Goal! So I'm joined today by uh, Matthew Santangelo and John Solano. Uh, Matthew is. At, at Matt Santangelo on Twitter and John is at Solano underscore 56. Uh, so we'll get going today. We're going to talk a little bit about Serie A. Uh, so we'll start with you, John. Do you think uh, with Juventus having been weakened with, with the uh, departures of Dani Alves, uh, Bonucci to Milan, do you think that the title race is going to be closer this year? Who do you think has strengthened uh, most uh, notably uh, amongst the title rivals for Juve? Um, so yeah, what do you think about the league heading to this season? Um, well, certainly there's been a lot of turnover, um, especially at Roma. Um, I, I certainly think if there were, ever was an opportunity um, to strike while the iron's hot for the other um, clubs to take advantage of Juve, uh, this is certainly the season. 
However, when you look from top to bottom, uh, I, I still think Juve are, are by far the strongest club in Italy. Um, certainly uh, Milan have reinforced very well. Uh, Napoli haven't really reinforced, but they've certainly kept their most important players, which uh, is you know huge for a club of, of their size. So I certainly think that we're looking for, we're going to be in for more of a, title race uh, in terms of in the fall winter um but it wouldn't shock me whatsoever if if we saw juve pull away uh come springtime and you know as far as how many points they could win by you know i, I wouldn't be surprised if it was upwards of 10 um we certainly saw them win by not as many this season uh certainly one one would say that the Champions League, uh, the run that they made to the final would have a lot to do with that. Um, but it doesn't matter if, if the other clubs don't take advantage of it. Uh, Roma had plenty of opportunities this previous season to uh, try and take advantage of uh, Juve's let-ups, but it never happened. So I, I still think Juve are by far the strongest, and to me, they're undoubtedly the favorites. Now, Matt, you're a big uh, Milan fan, of course. Obviously, they've had a massive transfer market, and many would probably say uh, the, that's the, they've had the best transfer market of any team in all of Europe. But they are coming from a lot further back than teams like uh, Roma and Napoli, for example. Do you think they've done enough uh, to make the step up to be champions? Uh, do you think that the aim for the club's Champions League qualification? Where do you see them heading this year? Um, I mean, I think certainly they've done you know quite a bit. I think the the whole um, approach for Milan's Mercato and the whole entire new Milan regime really wasn't so much based on uh, competing for, for the title. I think obviously, yes, obviously your goal is as a, as a big club is to compete for, for silverware every year. But I think the biggest thing for Milan this year is just to qualify for the Champions League. Now they have four spots this year, unlike last year, which they had three. So um, Napoli's going to have to go through in a playoff round to get to the group stages. But I think... Milan have reinforced um, quite a bit, and I think there should be the expectations are no less than a top four finish. I think if anything, if they finish outside the top four, it's definitely going to be observed as a uh, as a letdown or a disappointing season, just because you, you, when you spend north of one one twenty, one thirty, um, hundred thirty million euro in the transfer market, you get guys like Bonucci, you get guys like Kessie who who were were uh, you know getting interest from the biggest clubs in the Premier League and things like that. I think the expectation is anything less than um, Champions League would be a disappointment. Um, having said that, I think there's going to be um, this transition period, this, um, this period of adapting for Montella. I mean, he's got a bunch of new faces, and I think, yes, the excitement is we have a bunch of good, talented players, but you can't. this is not like FIFA career mode um, where you can just throw a bunch of players on a pitch and expect them to uh, you know, render the best results possible based on their ability. So I think what's going to happen here is that Milan really do need to take advantage of the first uh, four or five fixtures they have, which are pretty friendly in their favor. They open up versus Crotone, so that should be a good uh, match for them to kind of get up on the uh, get up on the proper foot and uh, get three points. But I, I think I'm optimistic as a Milan fan that they will certainly qualify for Champions League, and I think that's the first step. Now, once you qualify for Champions League, then you can start looking towards. Um, you know, that next step next summer of landing more champions, champion-like players like Bonucci. I think, obviously, the for, you know, thinking about the Mercato and the way Milan want to finish this year, uh, this summer, rather, I think the expectation is or the demand is to land that big, big-name striker. Uh, no knock on Andre Silva. He's a fantastic talent. 
but I think most people expect that it, it will take some time for him to acclimate to uh, life in Italy and overall tactical play of Serie A. So if they can land a guy like Aubameyang, I think that would really start to turn heads and there would there will be a little bit of a case, a possible case to be made from Milan being able to threaten a team like Juve, Napoli, or Roma for um, the title. But I think right now, it's definitely, as John mentioned, Juve is the favorites, um, and then Napoli, Roma right there, second and third. Uh, I definitely think with Juve still, uh, they've still got moves to make uh, in the transfer market. I think that now is definitely, this first five, six games of the season are going to be an excellent chance for a few of those other teams to really get a jump on, on Juve. Uh, with a lot of the profile of Milan signings, it's, it's been quite young. Apart from Billy and Bonucci, uh, it's mostly 24 and under. Do you think that uh, it'll be more of a case of sustaining a full 38-game season fight with the Europa League added and Thursday night football? Um, or do you think that the problems are going to be more at the start of the season with gelling? I'm not too sure. I think I think it's going to be, again, the, having that balance. Um, you know, for Montella, I mean, I mean, obviously rotation is going to be key. We saw, uh, you know, Sari has, and obviously Sari is a fantastic coach, and you're speaking on Napoli, trying to compare the two. Um, you know, Sari had a little bit of a difficulty last year rotating, you know, his players and keeping everyone fresh. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest, you know, areas that Montella needs to focus on, and I think that's why a lot of people, you know, or Milan rather, are still looking at different names for the midfield. Um, obviously, we heard Lucas Torreira; he's one of the latest people, uh, latest players to be uh, linked to Milan. So I think that Milan are also, yes, they've added quite a bit of players, and um, yes, they've added quite a bit of talent. But I think they are in full understanding of the fact that they are now in the Europa League, and um, you know, they can see that as an opportunity. Yes. I think the ultimate goal is Champions League, of course. But I think if they have the opportunity to go deep and make a deep run into the Europa League, as we saw with a team like Manchester United last year who won it, that's another avenue that can be paved for them in the event they need to rely on that to get to, into the Champions League. Because let's be real here, it looks as though the Serie A, you know, the top six, top seven clubs have really made that step up and they, there's a ch- good chance that they can separate themselves from the rest of the pack. Unlike the, you know, recent years where like teams like Sassuolo have creeped in, obviously Atalanta then did uh, this past year finishing fourth. But now you're going to start to see those top seven, uh, top seven, eight clubs really try to separate themselves. I mean, Inter have done have had a good mar- uh, Mercato recently um, the last few, uh, few weeks. Fiorentina are making some late noise here. So I think that's rotation is definitely going to be important for Milan um, in terms of you know what they want to accomplish this year. But I mean, I don't think. Getting back to your your uh, initial um, you know to, uh, point on on youth, I don't think that's going to have any big major effect because um, you know a guy, most of the guys they did add do have that Serie A experience with the exception of uh, you know Rodriguez and um, who else I'm trying to think Chalhanoglu. So um, that's not a big concern for me. I think it, again the first few weeks uh, of the season it's going to give them the opportunity to uh, to gel against to have the team gel against. Um, you know, for lack of a better term, weaker or more provincial opponents like Crotone. I don't think it's there's going to be um, any issues with the team gelling, um, especially from the beginning. I think they'll be able to use um, the last couple weeks of the tra- um, the summer to, again, get acclimated against the, um, I can't pronounce the name of the Europa League team they have to face um, next week, but um, using those games to really get everyone um, on the same page. And then, of course, use the opening uh, few fixtures that work in their favor in terms of the opponent to really gel before they actually do enter those difficult stages of the uh, of the season. 
Now, John, you're a bit of a Roma expert. I think that's what we would call you. Um, I think that Roma probably had the most active uh, summer of every club other than uh, Milan. And with Monkey, it's been it's been quite frantic, some of the moves they've made with the sales and the replacements. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Roma's mercato so far, uh, especially... Uh, interested in your thoughts on Pellegrini arriving, uh, Tengiz Unda and Karlsdorp, especially as under-23 signings? Um, for me, it the most important thing this summer was for Roma to uh, reinforce their depth. I think we saw last season that they were really stretched in that regard, and it got to the point where Spalletti was playing the same 11 players um, in the Europa League and in the, the uh, in in Syria. So I think the thing that they needed obviously was depth in the midfield. Uh, that was most important in my opinion. Um, and then they needed an alternative to Jekko in attack. Um, and then certainly a right back because Bruno uh, Perez was just so, so poor last season. Um, so having to sell uh, Rudiger uh, and Salah in order to do that, certainly um, creates a bit of a bad taste in your mouth. Uh, they're important players, but uh, we know how Roma operate. We've seen it the uh, you know the last five six years ever since their new ownership came into place. Um, they you know they are going to sell, and this is the way they have to operate um, until their stadium opens. So you know they they get a lot of stick it seems um, every summer when they when they sell an important player. Now, granted things weren't helped when Monchi said it wasn't a supermarket and then they end up selling two very important players. But nonetheless, um, this is Roma's uh, MO. This is how they operate. So, you know, having to sell Salah, um, I wasn't necessarily worried about replacing his goals um, just because I, I think just the way with Roma play, they're always going to have opportunities to score. I was more worried about replacing his assists um, and the great service he provided to Dzeko. Um So Roma brought in Defrel, um, and in the midfield, they, like you said, they brought in Pellegrini, um, and then on the wing, they brought in Under. Um, I, th- I think they still are lacking something up front. Um, we've obviously seen all the names they've been linked to, um, in particular Mares, who I... I absolutely want. I, I think he would be a perfect replacement for Salah, even though I might rate Salah a little bit higher than him. Um, just because I, I think it's really, really unfair uh, for Roma to put so much expectations um, and, you know, just punt it all on Under. Um, he's a great player. He's shown in the preseason what he can bring. Um, pace, uh, great dribbling ability. He's got a nose for goal. Um, even though he lacks size, um, he is pretty strong on the ball, which I, I've, it's probably been the thing that I'm most impressed with, with him so far. Um, but he still has a long way to go before he's even at Salah's level. So, um, you know, if Roma were able to bring in, like I said, someone like Mares, that'd be fantastic. Um, now I, I still think that they're lacking a little bit defensively, um, obviously with DiFrancesco's tactics, um, you're going to be left a little more open at the back. So 
obviously I think they need to bring in a central defender. Um, you know, they've brought in Moreno from PSV. Um, they've brought in Kolarov from City. Um, and then, as you said, they brought in Karsdorp from um, from Holland as well. So, I, you know, they've reinforced well, but I'm still, a, you know, a little worried that the names aren't as strong as they need to be. Um, you know, obviously the, the name I was most excited about was Kolarov late in the, late in the market, just because, uh, to get him at such a great price, um, he's got the, uh, the Grinta, he's got that ilk of a champion. I, I think something that's something that Roma really, really needed, um, especially in the dressing room. Uh, I think that's very important after having lost Tati, having a, a strong name that brings that respect, um, is very important. Um, so, I mean, other than him, Karsdorp, another name, I'm very, very excited to see. Um, I mean, anyone who watched, uh, even, uh, bits and pieces of Roma last season, um, they were able to tell that Bruno Perez was just not up to it, whether it be the tactics of Spalletti, whether it just be, he had a drop off, um, or maybe, you know, uh, Roma is too big of a step for him and, uh, Torino was his level. Um, I, I guess we'll find out a little more this season. So it was absolutely imperative to bring in a right back. Um, however, I, you know, as far as the depth goes, Roma have done fantastic. Um, the midfield is way more reinforced than last season. Um, I mean, I was never a big fan of Paradise, which I, I know you guys might be, but um, I, I was glad to see him go. Um, now, obviously, he could have... I think he potentially could have fetched a little bit of a higher fee, um, especially in this market, some of the absurd prices that we're seeing. But uh, nonetheless, overall, uh, you know, if I had to grade their their market out of a 10, I, I would give it a, a 7 right now. If they were able to bring in Mares and maybe um, a better partner for Manolas at the back, I'd be, you know, I'd give it a 9. But they... Um, They've reinforced well, um, but I still think the names that they brought in are maybe lacking a little bit. Roma sold Paredes, but it was probably an area of the field that they could afford to to lose a player. Um, But selling Salah for what they sold him for, would it be... Do you think that uh, Palota's hands are tied trying to sign Mares, uh, knowing that they can't really buy him for as much as they sold Salah for? Because it kind of just renders the whole thing redundant. Well, um... Yes and no, uh, just because the way they they sold Salah before uh, the 30th of June, which meant his fee went on the 2016-2017, um, that, that went on their books for that season. So obviously past the 30th of June, they sold Rudiger, they sold Paradis, um for a combined, uh, I think we're looking at, you know, almost 60 million. So they have the money there, um, but obviously they spend it in other places. Um, his hands are tied in the sense that obviously Roma, uh, they're, they're under the financial fair play sanctions. So um, they've obviously got to tread lightly um, just because they, they can't operate, you know, above their means. So, I certainly think that Roma are going to try their best to bring in Mares by every, you know, every stretch in which they can. Um, you know, the latest we've seen, the, the latest offers, 35 million euros. Um, you know, in this market, I, I certainly understand it from Leicester's point of view, how they view Mares in terms of what he's worth. 
Um, uh, in this window, you know, everything seems to be, you know, a little bit overinflated. Um, so even though we saw Salah go for nearly 50 million euros, which was including bonuses, um, certainly you would think that Mares is worth at or maybe just below that. So I, I certainly understand from their point of view why they wouldn't accept 35 or even 40 million euros. Um, however, you know, Roma, they're going to need a replacement for Salah. Um, you're not going to get the type of production that he provided um, for. I mean, I, I can't think of many names out there that you're going to pay less than 30 million or 40 million euros for that are able to bang out the number of goals and assists that he was able to, you know, able to provide. So um, I do think Roma's hands are tied, but ultimately I, I don't think they have a choice if they want to, you know, find a replacement for Salah um, and get like production. Uh, that's just the market and that's what they're going to have to pay. Uh, so we've seen uh, a fair few big money uh, signings of some young players, under 23 players. Is there a particular one that stands out for you? I'm, I can think of off the top of my head, uh, Bernard Deschi at Juve, Andre Silva, who I think will, will really shine at Milan in his kind of creative striker role. Uh, Kessier will be really important as well. Uh, also, Simeone, if he goes to Fiorentina, Scrinia at uh, Inter, or Solini at Atalanta. Is there one that particularly stands out to you that, that you think will shine this year? Um, I mean, obviously, for the you know the players you just mentioned, Cassier is obviously one that's, that stands out for me. Um, I, I touched more on what type of impact he can have and how um, important and key he can be for Milan this season in an article for Football Italia. But um, I want to go maybe to someone a little bit different that maybe we can focus on, and that's Sampdoria. Um, David Kalnowski, I think he's going to he, – he, there's a chance that he could play a big role for Sampdoria, who I consider to be a little bit of a dark horse team at the Europa League for, uh, to qualify for the Europa League this year. Um, they did lose Kudaniar, as you just mentioned. Um, Schick looks like he's going to be on his way to uh, – likely to enter um, if recent reports are correct. But I think, you know, Kalnowski, he has the opportunity that if he's given time, similar in a way that Sheik was last year, I think he can really be um, a big player for them, especially when you, he can play alongside a guy like uh, Quagliarella up front. So um, that's a little bit of a different shout aside from the guys you mentioned, but maybe John has someone else that he's uh, looking at. Uh, I mean, I've tweeted about him multiple times. Um, uh, my favorite is by far Simeone. Um He's a very modern striker. Uh, very, he's quick, uh, great with the ball at his feet. Um, does not get bullied off the ball easy. Um, decent in the air. Um, if Fiorentina are able to to pip him from Genoa, um, I think that'd be a fantastic purchase. Um, just because I, I think he's one of the budding stars in Syria. Um, I, I was dying for uh, for Roma to get him, but. Um, uh, I think Fiorentina, especially if they sell Kalinic, uh, he would be a fantastic purchase just because I, I think he's so multidimensional. Um, and really what we saw from him last season, I mean, people seem to overlook, but that was his first full season in Europe, and he was fantastic. Um, if you take him out of that Genoa team, um, they're probably down in Serie B right now. So he's definitely one that I've got my eye on, um, and I've got my fingers crossed at uh, Roma can can purchase him sometime in the future if he doesn't end up going to Fiorentina this summer, just because I, I think he's absolutely fantastic. 
Yeah, I, I think you might be a bit unfortunate. I think I, I, I've been talking to a guy from Fiorentina and he seems to think that it's done for 15 million euros and 3 million euros in bonuses, which is kind of a bit of a bargain. But Fiorentina, I thought we're heading for a, a, a bit of a poor season. But in the last couple of days, they've, they've picked up a few players and, and they might uh, they look like they might be pushing their way to that top six, which is looking unbelievably competitive. So I just wanted, as a last uh, last question or last last thing... Matt, can you pick a top six in Serie A this season? Ooh. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I know I, I'm, I'm not, not including anything that's going to happen with the last couple weeks of the Mercato. Um, this is just looking at the teams that we have right now, uh, as is. Um, I'm going to still say it's going to be um, Juve, Napoli, Roma. I'm sorry, Juve, Napoli, Milan, Roma. Sorry, John. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> Inter, in, 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 I'm going to say Inter are going to finish fifth, um, and I'm going to say sixth. I just I, I want to go Lazio, but I think um, losing a guy like Belia is going to hurt them. Um, I'm going to say sixth will be. Oof, you know, I think Fiorentina might uh, sneak into sixth. And you, John? Yeah, that would be. Um... That would be my top six as well. Um, my only change would be to flip flop Roma and Milan. Um, I, I, I don't think uh, Inter have made the proper moves that they needed. Um, Lazio, uh, I do. I, I mean, um, re- you know, replacing Bilia with Luke, Lucas Laiava is just, in my opinion, one of the worst moves I've seen them make in such a long, long time. I don't know when the last time they saw Lucas play, um, but he's absolutely fallen off the face of the earth. He hasn't had a strong season in three or four years almost. Um, so for them to think that him as a replacement will suffice, it just blew my mind. Um, and then we're seeing what's going on right now with Kaita Balde um, not being called up for the Super Cup. So um, I, I don't see them in the top six. If Fiorentina are able to, like you guys said, Pip, uh, Pip uh, Simeone from, from Genoa, um, in my opinion, there, there's no reason to think that they cannot get top six and ultimately achieve uh, Europa League football. Okay, awesome. Thank you very much, guys. I think Matt's going to hang around and uh, meet us again after the, the Super Cup. But John, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, is there anyone or anything you'd like to shout out before you leave? Uh, no, just uh, I, I hope we have a more competitive uh, season. No offense, uh, Stephen, but um, I'd like to see a new new uh, Scudetto champion this season other than, other than Juve. Not too sure about that one, but thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Goal! Okay, so we're back after the Super Cup and Lazio claimed the win 3-2 with a last-minute goal to uh, 21-year-old uh, local product, Alessandro Murgia. Uh, Lazio really dominated the game uh, probably from the fifth minute of the match onwards. Uh, Juventus with a couple of the free kick and a penalty from Dybala almost uh, almost came back, but Lazio were too strong and deservedly uh, won the cup. So I just want to want to get your thoughts on the game, Matt. Um, I mean, much I mean, most of what everyone is pretty much saying, I can agree with. Um, Juve in the first half 
just look very flat. Uh, Quadrado and Kadira specifically, I want to point out, they just, I don't know what, for whatever reason it was, they just didn't look, there wasn't that um, that presence felt in the midfield for, for Juventus. And I think um, that was one of the big things that uh, kind of drove them, off their, drove them off their game. Now, they made some substitutions at half that looked to make the difference. Um, you know, but notably, you know, the, the midfield was lacking, obviously. Um, they are looking at Matuidi, and I think um, you know maybe Anzonzi is another option. But uh, Dishio, man, he had a, a a very bad debut, <laughs> one that he'll definitely want to put behind him. But um, it, he was notably notably poor to say the least. And I think um, you know it would have been a little bit like as you mentioned earlier um, to me. You know it would have been a little. Uh, it was kind of good that they didn't win, just because just because of the fact that it kind of shows that they are they do lack in areas and they do need to improve. Um, more than people may may uh, think, and um, yeah, Lazio again, as you as you just said, Lazio were uh, more than more than deserving of the victory. Although they made it a little difficult on themselves in the last what ten minutes. Um, you know, of course, Dybala can't take anything away from him. Fantastic free kick, perfectly struck, um, and then the penalty. Um, what do you I mean? What do you think about the penalty? Do you think it was clear cut? I mean, I know Immobile's was in the first half, but what do you think of Dybala's? Do you think that was? It was it was probably there. Um, obviously, people are going to say that what they'll say about Juventus and last minute penalties, and yeah. I don't want to throw myself too much into that controversy. Obviously, being a Juventus fan, but uh, it was probably there. But as it hasn't changed the result in the end, so I don't think many people are going to talk about it. Oh yeah, no, I I totally agree with you. And then again, and you know, Juventus again, they came out a little bit stronger in the second half. Um, but if, if they're just they're just lacking in, in certain areas that um that obviously they they hope to hope to address in the coming weeks of the mercato. But um, coming into this game, I think most people were gonna look because um, this was pretty much their big first true test. I think obviously as we creep closer to the season, these are the sort of games that you really want to see if um, to you get an idea or get an indication of where teams are at. And I think, you know, most Juventus fans were looking to see how def- how they were going to look defensively without, of course, Bonucci. Um, I mean, I'm not, listen, I'm not worried if, you know, as a Milan fan, I'm just speaking yet pretty unbiased here. I mean, Juventus fans shouldn't be worried defensively. Even in the midfield, I think they will get someone. Um, now, whether or not that'll make the difference and that'll be put them over the top, I'm not sure. But um, nonetheless, they definitely need to improve. And then this this is, a you know, a good indication of uh, of that. Yeah, I think there's definitely now at least two two signings have to come in. Uh, saw Sergei Milinkovic-Savic absolutely terrorize uh, Juventus' midfield from so good. just so about good. the first minute. Yeah, he was amazing, um, and he was amazing last season. And if that was someone that Juventus could get, he would be just the perfect signing because Juventus' midfield really just lacks any bite at the moment with Kadira and Pjanic. Uh, and I think that Marquisio now, with his being fully recovered from his ACL, uh, will definitely see a lot more game time this season. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a, a big, strong midfield, even in Zonzi, would really fit what Juventus need. And at right back, De Chilio is an absolute train wreck, and uh, Lichtenstein is not much better when he plays. So uh, a, a right back is just absolutely imperative if uh, Juventus are going to get anywhere, not just in Serie A, but in the Champions League as well this season. Um so I think, yeah, Juventus have a lot of problems, but Lazio were lacking uh, Keita, Felipe Anderson, uh, and Bilia, who went to Milan. Uh, so three of probably their five maybe best players last season, and they were 
they were really, really strong. And uh, we didn't really talk about them when we were predicting our top sixes because of that, those three players uh, not being there. But I think Lazio are pretty are well coached in a, in a pretty set and solid lineup this year as well. Oh, yeah. I think Lazio are going to be one of those teams where, despite losing, um, of course, Lucas Bilia and then most likely Keita Balde, they're going to really, really rely on their coach um, to really drive them. Um, just similar in similar ways that, you know, other coaches obviously don't, um, you know, I mean, other teams don't, you know, I mean, yes, of course, every team relies on their coach. Obviously, you need the tactics, you need the proper rotation of players and the ultimately proper personnel on the field. But I think Lazio with these with these uh, subtractions to their team, they're really going to be relying on Inzaghi to really keep driving this engine forward. And I think, um, you know, we saw that today with the absence of a couple key men, they still look strong. And I think, you know, Again, at the, at the top of it all um, was Immobile. I mean, Immobile had a fantastic year last year. And, it, you know, based off what he did today, it looks like he's gonna he's in for another strong year. Um, real quick, I wanted to um, get, you know, ask you, how do you think um, Costa and Bernadeschi look today? And also, how do you feel uh, Dybala looked? Because I think some people were saying that he was a little bit too deep. He played a little too deep. You know, they want to see him more forward and more involved. But what are your thoughts on those two uh, questions? I think that Dybala can afford to play a bit deeper when we've got Bernardeschi and mm-hmm. uh, Douglas Costa on, uh, right. just because they offer that that outlet up front um, and that pace and that creativity. Uh, whereas when Mandzukic and Quadrado on are on, um, Dybala really needs to leave himself further forward just because he's of the front three he's the only one that really creates Quadrado can dribble when he can get to the byline and get some crosses in every now and then uh, but Dybala is the only one that can really make something happen from central areas um, I thought Douglas Costa when he came on was really really good um, got some okay. dangerous balls into the into the box uh, showed his pace his trickery on the wing uh, Benedeski probably wasn't on for long enough to really gauge how he fit in but it kind of, it seems like he he Dybala and and Costa will really uh, work well interchanging and and switching up. Uh, so I think that the the forward line doesn't look like a problem, but uh, it's getting the ball to those forwards in good areas, which was something that Bonucci was so um, so fantastic and Dani Alves was so fantastic at, um, and they probably helped the midfield a lot in getting that ball forward to attackers in in really good good areas. Whereas now. Um, Getting the ball out of defense is a problem. Uh, Benati was, was pretty much average today. I'm uh, not sure why Rugani didn't start. Um, Rugani might help a little bit, but um, yeah, there are definitely definitely problems. And a midfielder and a right back are just just imperative. Otherwise, it could go a little bit pear shaped early on in the season uh, for you, Uwe. I, I agree. Listen, I agree with 100% with everything you said. You know, I think they are obviously linked to a couple right backs and a couple midfielders. Um, you know, Spinazzola seems like the, the logical uh, choice for them just because he's Italian. He would be able to slide right in and he would, um, you know, be a, be an upgrade over DiCiglio. But um, do you think that would eliminate or force uh, Lichtensteiner out of the club? I mean, do you think he'd still stay there? I mean, what do you think? Um, I think Lichtsteiner will probably stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the, the right-back problem is just ridiculous because Danny Alves was signed to be, I believe, to be a two-year option um, and then bring in Paul Lirola from uh, Sassuolo who on, was sent on loan there for two years. 
But then when Dani Alves left after a year, it kind of created this one-year void where we've just not really been left with too many options. Uh, I don't think Marotta really has a right back that he wants to commit to. Um, and yeah, De Chilio was kind of a stopgap option, but he really just looks like a train wreck every time he steps out into the field. So um, yeah, Spinazzolo will probably help, but he played a lot of left back, so it'll be interesting to see if he'll be able to switch out onto the right um, because he's obviously not going to take Alexandro's spot straight away. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a massive problem and they've only got two weeks to solve it now. Oh yeah, no, definitely for sure. Should be interesting. But anyway, we'll leave it at that, Matt. Matt, thank you very much for, for coming on again at Matt Santangelo on Twitter. Um, any shout-outs to anything, any projects before you leave? Um, well, first, thanks for having me on. I really do appreciate that. Um, I do have something coming out, um, you know, not Juve or Lazio related, but I do have an article, uh, a long-form feature coming out for these football times uh, this week. So definitely check that out. It's on actually um, a certain bad boy of Italian football. I'll leave it at that. There's a little bit of a, a teaser there, but uh, definitely keep an eye out for that. And um, yeah, just again, thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to uh, appearing on again real soon. Thank you very much. That's all from another week of Scattered Says. Thank you for listening and we'll see you all next week.